Welcome to Radar Contact by Fox ATM, the podcast for the air traffic management community, bringing global ATM on your radar. You're identified. Welcome to one more episode of Radar Contact that will be dedicated to training and more specifically air traffic controllers training. And my guest for that is someone we had um, on an interview before starting the podcast, actually. Uh, and it's uh, Jeremy Ball, who is head of the Starsim project at DSNA. Jeremy, welcome back to Radar Contact. Hello, Vincent. Thank you for inviting me and questioning me today. Um, before we go into simulators and projects, can you just um, give our audience a short uh, overview of your career path so far? What, who, who you are, how, do you, how did you come here, and so on? So, as you said, I'm Jeremy Bail. Today, I'm a program manager for training tools for DSNA, the French ANSP. Uh, I used to be, and I'm still, an air traffic controller in Charles de Gaulle Airport for Power and Approach. And I am in charge of simulation for CDG for six years now. And beginning last year, yeah, from one year and a half, I started to manage also a project to install simulators all over France under the name of StarSim Project. Thank you. So we had you on a, on a video interview in mid of 2020 in the the highest peak of the COVID crisis, because you started to do not only training, but also validation of air traffic control students and, and active controllers who got revalidated not only on the real working position, but also in the simulator. And I asked you by the time if it's something that was just for COVID or if it's something that would go for long. So how do you stand with that now? So when we started this, we were really happy with uh, the process itself. It saved a lot of time for our trainees. Um, it was not supposed to be uh, temporary, but we had to stop. Uh, not because we had problem with this, but as the traffic as the traffic came back, and so now people think that a regular examination session with real traffic is better than only simulation. So I have to cope with this. We still can do it if we don't hope this, but if a crisis come back, we now we know how to validate and do it with good feedback, but people still prefer the real traffic. Okay. Well, that's, that's the situation. Thank you for that. Um, now you are moving on within the SNA with a new project called StarSim in which you deploy simulators at, um, regional airports or let's say outside of ENAC, which is the school normally for, for training. Um, and you will have much more local resources for training. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Exactly. So the plan here, it was triggered by the COVID crisis. We had problems with uh, training more and more people in less and less time. So we, we the direction of operation for DSNA uh, decided to increase the, the tools for simulation. So they asked me to, to find solutions. And so the solution was to deploy uh, simulators more and more in the different parts of France instead of centralizing the ENAC. The problem is not the ENAC was doing a bad job. They do a great job still today, but they don't have enough space for everyone if we have to train everyone together at the same time. So we decided to increase the number of simulators and give the opportunity to people to train close to their real airport instead of having to travel to the ENAC for, for training. 
So the idea here is we will install tower and approach simulators in the different parts of France, one by what we call SNA, uh, which are the different districts of France, let's say that. And for the moment, we start with one in each corner. So we started with the northwest in Nantes. Uh, then we kept going with Basel Airport um, for, for Basel and Strasbourg. And then we will go to Nice, Bordeaux, Toulouse. And if everyone is happy with it, we will keep going. With last but not least, the last to join the project was Orly Airport. And they will have their own simulator also this year. Now we are on January 23. <laughs> In, indeed. Um, a few things you said here are quite interesting. First, it will be local training. So each airport has also um, secondary airport associated to them, for example, like Nice has Cannes, uh, Basel has Strasbourg, and, and so on, which means you deploy simulator at one of these airports that can train controllers from the local airports as well. Is that, is that correct? Uh, almost correct. I will never say that they are alternate or secondary airport, but let's say partner airport. Uh, we will install one physical simulator, which is something we need money to build. So we cannot build a simulator, a physical simulator in every center, but we will choose one place, at least one place for each SNA to install one big simulator. And this simulator will be allowed to train all the airfields of the area. So it means when we install something in Nantes, we have Nantes and Kemper airport at the same time for the moment. Uh, for Basel, we have Basel and Strasbourg, as said, I said this, Nice and Cannes, as you mentioned, and then Bordeaux, Pau and Lourdes will be together, and then we will deal with the partners. In the future, we can also add any platform we want. So for the moment, we implement the first ones, and then in the future, we plan to develop other platforms also, according to the needs of the SNA, the airport themselves, and the training department locally. You are setting up these new simulators in premises that are sometimes, let's say, quite full already, a bit packed. Uh, I imagine you are not building new, new buildings for simulators. So how do you cope with the lack of space um, on site? That was... That is exactly the deal my boss went with. He said, if you have to build a new building, it's too expensive, we cannot offer it. So do it with what we have, and especially what we have not. We don't have space, so we will find the more we can, and then you will deal with it. Basically, in Nantes, we installed a simulator in a former meeting room, five by five meters. Uh, that's really small, but we succeeded in installing 300 degrees Simulator with three pseudo pilots and all in the same in the same room. So we have, let's say, we have a generic simulator, a product from UFA, and then we adapt it to the configuration of the sites. So big room, big simulator, small room, small simulator. But it's not only this. We also um, check. Uh, with the procedures, the VFR procedures, IFR procedures, the runway configuration to find the best tool for the appropriate place. So if you don't need a 360, you don't have a 360. If you need it and you don't have space, I will always prefer not to buy anything instead of buying and building something you will not use or not enjoy. Very true. Um, what about the timing of the project? I've heard it's a bit... Um 
or to say that constraint and, and has to has to be quick. What is what is your plan here? Yeah, the second part of the deal that my boss gave me, he said, you we must do it quick because when we started, we were in the middle of the crisis of COVID, and we we are still deep inside the crisis. But it's even if it's getting better now, uh, we try to go quickly, and so the deal is to install as many simulators as we can with a good quality and with a reduced time timeline. Um, the initial deal is to make the five initial simulators in five years. So we started one year ago and we installed already two. Um, the third is half done. Let's say we train people. We installed a pre-install for the simulator of Nice. And then this year we plan to install, if the money is coming, uh, we will install uh, Nice, Bordeaux and Orly uh, this year. And so then if money comes back or if the needs are increasing, then we will try to make the best with what we have. Sounds like a lot of lot of work to be done in, in short short time. And I can also imagine you rely um, somehow on, on the local teams, both operational and technical. Do you get good uh, support from them? I, I think so. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, the third part of, of my deal is my team is really, really reduced. So it means I started basically alone. And after a few months, I had the chance to the opportunity to, to get a second guy for my team. But that's all. The StarSim project is only two person. And then we rely on local teams. Local teams who are always motivated and over, uh, yeah, over motivated. And, and they are really, really uh, powerful on site. They know what they need. They are most of the time controllers, part of technical departments. They know their place. They know the room. They know the runway configuration and else. So we work a lot with them. We, we, what we try to do is to involve them in the decision process. So they will define exactly what they want. And then we try to find the best way to implement it and build it. That's something we see every now and then, and I've always been quite convinced of that. You just said you involve the users uh, very early in the process, in the design, and you have operational and technical people working together. It's not like operations make a design, finish it, and goes to technical and say, hey, that's what we want. Or technical makes a design and go to operation and says, this is what you will get. So I think that's working in common between technical and operation is one of the key of the success here. Yeah, one of the key of the success, but the second thing to take into account is the availability of these guys, because uh, human resources in DGAC are not um, are not really, let's say, we are not a lot everywhere. So sometimes we, we end in an airport when no one is available or not a lot of people, so we have to deal with it. Depending on the site, sometimes this, this kind of person, controllers are involved or less involved or more involved and the same for technical department because we come with a new system, we want to install it, but they already have jobs and sometimes they have more jobs than time to do it. So we try to make the simulator in order not to add too much work to them. So they can adapt to the new system and make the transition without any being uh, let's say overrun. 
Okay, now looking at ATC training more, more generally speaking, especially in the future, because new technologies allow for, for a lot of interesting things. Um, we could think of things like, for example, having the pseudo-pilots being on a different location. Um, we can think of remote training or, or training at your own pace. Uh, and I guess, technologically speaking, you would have the option to do all of those. Um, what is your personal view on the future of, of ATC training, generally speaking, and at, at the SNA? My personal view on this is um, we designed the, the uh, contract we have with UFA to be able to go to these technologies in the future. So it's not something we take with the generic product I mentioned, but it's something we can have as an option because I believe that we can use voice recognition, automatic, uh, automatic pseudo-pilot, automatic controller for empty seats on, on controller sites. Um, for me, we can, we can go with it. The problem is, and anyway, it's a problem, but we have to, we have to deal with it. It's the computer and cyber security. Uh, so connecting our system to the outer world is something my organization is not ready to, to implement yet. So we will have to fight a lot, not to fight against them, but fight with them and try to find a way to respect the DGAC rules to connect the simulator to the outer world and maybe have some remote pseudopilot or some remote instructors. And technically, it's possible. Then we can maybe take advantage of it. I'd just like to intervene here. Um, fully agree with cybersecurity aspects for operational systems. But here, with, with all due respect, we are speaking about simulation and training. Are not the rules? Or could not the rules be relaxed a bit in that domain? Or do you have one set of rules for all your systems? From my point of view, yes. But I have to prove it to my cyber security department. Prove that the simulator is not critical and that even if we are hijacked, nothing bad can happen. For me, all the, they are a bit afraid of the procedures, the exercise, and all the computers. They don't want any uh, any bad guy from the inside to go inside our network and try to attack the operational system from the simulator. So I have to explain everything, to prove everything, fill a lot of forms, a lot of documents. So for the moment, we progress step by step. I install the simulator on site. We do everything locally. We have a separate network. Everything is separated. And that's the point of the uh, cyber study we carried out before the, the Thing. We said, okay, everything is separate. We have a separate network. We don't connect to your network by any connection. So we reached an agreement with the, the cyber department and they said, this, this is okay. If you want, the day you want to connect, we discuss again. So when I have time and energy, I will try to prove that it's possible. Technically, it's possible. And with the contract we have, it's possible also. So we will probably experiment this in the future. And, and from that point on, students can probably, for some basic training, work at their own pace when they want, how they want, from home, from their own device, and so on. For me, that's the future, and it already works in other countries, so I don't see why, for us, it cannot work. So we just have to find the way to make it work, and everyone is happy with it. For the students from home, from the pseudo-pilots, we have a hell of a time when looking for pseudo-pilots because we, we cannot find them. Here in Paris, we are lucky enough to have some of them. 
but I say some of them and I, I understand every word of this sentence, some of them, uh, but when we are definitely in some remote places or small cities or small places, they have really big difficulties to find pseudo-pilots that are skilled enough for the simulator and that want to stay and help for controllers. So that can be, um, can be a nice solution to have a pool of central pseudo-pilot and then one day they in the morning, they train Nantes. In the evening, they train Nice. And the day after, Basel, without any move. Yeah. A naive question. Cannot another trainee or another controller become the pseudo-pilot if you have nobody else, or are they not available either? Technically, they can. And we experimented this in CDG. Some controllers can help being a pseudo-pilot. Um, they, it's easier for them to become a pseudo-pilot because they already know the environment, the exact environment. For the coordination, they can also be really helpful because they are really realistic. We don't have to write anything in a logbook. They have the answers, the coordination. They can make some appropriate situation, the right plane at the right, at the wrong place in the right moment to make some complication for, for the student. Um, but it's, it's complex also to, okay, so the controller who comes to be a pseudo pilot, is he working on a shift? Is it working in office? Is it paid extra? Is paid? Is it his regular shift? So all these questions, including social questions, money questions, and are on the table at the moment. Technically, uh, it's possible, and in my opinion, yeah, it can help a lot. There is one more question about the future of training. I'd like to to ask you specifically. We see more and more private training organization being set up. Um, not being part of ANSPs, and I mean, historically speaking, air traffic controllers training was a, one of the tasks of an ANSP, and now we see more and more private organizations. How do you stand with that? For me, for me, and for my organization, it's not it's not the strategy today. We will keep the training inside the DGAC, so made by real controllers. Because for me, in France at least, I don't know about the other countries for this, but. Um, Every center is different. Every center has his set of rules. So if we take some outside organization to do this, we will have to train them, then to update them. Here in CDG, we have controllers in the training department. They are up to date because they are still controllers. So they know all the updates. They already have them. They already train, ready from one day to the other to be in the simulator or in real life. More easy to, to manage for me. Okay, really clear. Thank you for that. And now to wrap up, uh, that's something we have on the podcast we did not have before on the interview. And that's something we ask all of our guests. Uh, so no way you can escape that. How do you see ATM training in five years from now, but also in 50 years from now? <laughs> in five years from now, I see, I see at least five simulators of StarSim in France. So to do powerful, accurate, and efficient training for our ADCO. In 50 years, I think it will be without me, but um, for me, yeah, a lot, maybe my wish is to increase the, the place of simulation in the real training. So we we have to change, from, from my point of view, we have to change the balance between on-job training and simulator training. So, um, yeah. For me, more simulation, less 
real position. And more technology, not because it's bright, shiny, and interesting, but because we can help a lot the students by making a tailor-made uh, training session. I mean, if we can implement some artificial intelligence or some kind of this kind of technology, it can detect the difficulties a trainee has and provide him with some adapted exercise, some kind of adaptive learning we already have with computer-assisted training today. Maybe we can implement it also for a traffic control and simulation. Okay, I have to add one more question because what other discussions with different people on, on the podcast before, on what you said with adaptive learning. So that means every student becomes exercises that are, that are adapted for, for them specifically. Do you see a way to improve the, the rates of success in training with that? I have to say in France, we are not ashamed by the rate of success we have when we compare to other countries. So we are already at a, at a high rate of success. The thing we we can improve, and yeah, we are regular. We are asked to improve it. Is um, the duration of the training? So for the moment, in a big center, we we have between three and three year and a half for training a student. So maybe this kind of technology and the implementation of adaptive learning can reduce this time of training, and that's probably one one challenge for the years to come. Jeremy, thank you for being our guest today. It was a pleasure to have you as always. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Radar Contact. Visit foxatm.com or your favorite podcast platform for more episodes. Feel free to let us know if you or someone you know would like to share a topic with the air traffic management community. Frequency change is approved.